The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACHR Mandy, your host. Today is Thursday, so it's time for the weekly visit of Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Great to have you on board, as always. And this is an extremely timely show today. It's called The Real Story of the Greatest and Most Hated Man in History. Where would you like to start us off today, Peter? Well, Andrew, this is an important part of our calendar as uh, this weekend we are remembering the greatest travesty of justice, the worst crime in history, the illegal trial and execution of Jesus of Nazareth. And we are remembering also the greatest victory over death, hell and the grave, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no doubt Jesus Christ is the greatest man who's ever lived in all of history. He, he changed the world forever. And when he was born, he even transformed the way we measure time. He turned aside the river of the ages out of its courses and lifted the centuries off the hinges so that his birthday, his incarnation, touched and transformed time. Now the whole world counts time as before Christ, B.C., and A.D., or Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Jesus Christ is the central figure of history. More books have been written on Jesus Christ than any other person in history, and uh, you can go to the U.S. Uh, Library of Congress, which is one of the largest libraries in the world, and uh, they've informed me, yes, there's more books um, on Jesus Christ than any other person. In fact, there's no real close second, but the distant second, interestingly enough, would be another one of the most important and hated people in history, and that would be Martin Luther. And uh, uh, so he, he would be a far distant second of the most books written about him. Um, uh, but Jesus Christ is the greatest. But having said that, he's also the most hated person in history, uh, because whoever had such a kangaroo court as our Lord Jesus Christ, his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, his execution was absolutely unique. It wasn't his actions that were in question. It was his identity. And the charge laid against Christ by the Jewish Sanhedrin was blasphemy. And the testimony on which he was convicted was concerned with his identity as the Messiah. And the trial of Jesus of Nazareth was completely illegal. It broke every law uh, at, at every point. It broke the laws of Israel and the laws of Rome. 
it was illegal to conduct a trial at night. It was against the law to conduct a summary trial without any warning or any opportunity for the accused to prepare a defense or to seek positive character witnesses. At any trial, the accused was to be granted an opportunity to prepare a defense. Heralds were to be sent out in the area to inquire if anyone knew anything positive about the accused to come forward and testify. But there was no opportunity granted for appeal. There was no delay between the arrest and the trial, between the trial and the verdict. There wasn't a delay between the verdict and the sentencing. There was no delay between the sentencing and the execution. Within less than a 24-hour period, Jesus was arrested, tried, condemned, sentenced to death, and executed. This blatantly violated all due process of law. And this after the Roman governor had three times declared him innocent. And effectively, King Herod had also dismissed him. So when Pontius Pilate said, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I found no fault in this man concerning the things of which you accuse him. No, neither did King Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. But the mob shouted, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Then Pontius Pilate said to him a third time, why? What evil has he done? I find no reason for death in him. I will therefore have him flogged and let him go. Wait a minute. The magistrates just said he's done nothing wrong. So why is he being flogged? But they were insistent. The mob demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And when you look at the hysteria involved at that time and since, because you know that every year you get tremendous pressures on whether it's passion plays and so on. They don't like you putting in that quote where his blood be upon us and upon our children. And there was tremendous pressure brought even to bear on Mel Gibson in this film because uh, they were the usual suspects who, who didn't want this. And this mob of people saying, we have no king but Caesar. Release Barabbas, crucify Christ, crucify him. His blood be upon us and upon our children. What could have motivated this mob of people in the streets and these Jewish religious leaders to incite the arrest and trial of the greatest man who ever lived. And when you think about the fact that Jesus Christ brought about the most positive changes in the history of the world, in fact, you can say the teachings and example of Jesus have inspired the greatest acts of generosity, the greatest acts of hospitality, self-sacrifice and service for the poor, the sick and the needy for over 2000 years. And even our dating system testifies to the fact he's the most important person who ever lived. He's the greatest person who ever lived. The world before Christ was a world without hospitals, a world without charity, a world without respect for the sanctity of life. Hospitals were an innovation of Christianity. Hence, what's the symbol of a hospital? It's not a star. It's not a crescent. It's not a ham and sickle. Uh, it's a cross. Uh, and it's a red cross normally of because of the blood of Christ, the healing symbol of a cross represents hospitals. The nursing profession was founded by Christians like Florence Nightingale out of devotion to Christ. One of history's greatest humanitarian movements, the International Red Cross, was founded by Christians like Henry Dunant. You can go to the International Committee for the Red Cross headquarters and museum in Geneva, as I have done, and the first thing you see in the exhibit is the Bible of Henry Dunant, and then the scripture verses of the teachings of Christ go and heal the sick, care for the poor, good Samaritan, go and do likewise. These different teachings of Jesus, even love your enemies. These quotes are there in, in German, in French, in English, um, uh, up 
in the International Committee for the Red Cross Museum, testifying to the fact that the International Red Cross was founded in response to the teachings of Jesus to care for the sick and for the sufferings. Christians like Dr. Louis Pasteur fueled some of the greatest practical advances in medicine, saving vast amounts of lives through his innovations. And the whole concept of charity, kindness to strangers, was unknown before Christ. And so the teachings of Christ and the example of Christ and the followers of Christ have brought about the greatest positive changes in history. Before the coming of Christ, every culture practiced slavery, every culture practiced human sacrifice, even the highly esteemed Greek and Roman civilizations. Child sacrifice was common amongst the pagan religions. The Aztec Empire in Mexico, the Inca Empire in Peru, they engaged in slavery, ritual rapes, mass human sacrifice. Suti, the burning of widows on the funeral pyres of their husbands, was commonplace in Hindu India before the missionary William Carey arrived. And because of polygamy, you could have 33 widows, 40 widows, being burned on a funeral pyre of one husband. They had 11-year-old wives, widows, burned on a funeral pyre of the husband because of the child abuse that was common then. This was brought to an end by missionaries like William Carey. Slavery was eradicated as a result of the tireless efforts of Christians like William Wilberforce and David Livingston. Respect for life, respect for liberty is a fruit of Christianity. And so those people today who are promoting abortion, euthanasia, pornography, perversion, they're not offering us progress. They're offering us a return to pre-Christian paganism. It's, it's regression, not progress. And so the positive impact of Jesus Christ on the world cannot be overstated. Everything from education to human rights, public health, economic liberty, all the things we cherish most and the blessings we take for granted, all can be traced to the spiritual and cultural revolution begun by Jesus Christ. And yet he's not only the greatest person who's ever lived, he's the most hated. And you would wonder why. Well, there's, there's quite a few reasons for that. First of all, do you know, nobody condemned hypocrisy more than our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord exposed pride and hypocrisy and arrogance. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And when he gave his parables, we read that the Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they knew that he had spoken these parables against them. And it's so striking. So you read, for example, in Matthew 23, Jesus spoke and said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They say, but they do not do. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on men's shoulders. They themselves do not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad, they enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best place at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues. They love the greetings in the marketplace. And they love to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi. For one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth Father, for only one is your Father. He is in heaven. Do not be called teachers. Only one is your teacher, the Christ. He who is greatest among you should be your servant. He who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus taught the principle that we entrench in Western Christian civilization that people in government are to be servants, civil servants. And that is why we have ministers in the cabinet. That comes, that's the same word that we use for deacon, uh, which means servant. And we have a prime minister in Great Britain because 
that prominence means first servant. Now, this comes from the teachings of Christ, that leaders and rulers are not to be those who uh, lorded over others, but who are showing leadership, servant leadership by example. And so our Lord Jesus attacked hypocrisy. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow in others who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses. And for pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive the greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he's one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple is nothing. Whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obligated to perform it. Fools and blind. What is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's obligated to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar which sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and all who dwell in it. He who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, those are spices. But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You cleanse the outside of the cup, but inside it is full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse Indeed, appear outwardly beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And so also you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy, lawlessness, rottenness, and corruption. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets. You adorn the monuments of the righteous. If you And you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with him in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves. You are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Now, these are just some of what Jesus said. And you understand why the religious leaders hated Christ, because he spoke straight. He exposed the hypocrisy. Nobody exposed hypocrisy more than our Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder he's so hated by Hollywood. No wonder he's hated by the banksters and by the pornographers and the pimps and the uh, abusers of children, the pedophiles and others, because nobody spoke more against such evils than our Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke against the money lenders. In fact, he took a whip and he chased out the corrupt money lenders out of the temple. You brood of vipers, you've taken what should be the house of God and turned it into a den of thieves. You've taken what should be a house of prayer for all nations and turned it into a marketplace. And our Lord's actions and his words and his whole life was a rebuke to hypocrites and to those who devour widows' houses, Jesus was always speaking up for the widows and the orphans and the downcast and the Samaritans and those people who were being discriminated against and mistreated uh, by these religious hypocrites. And just to think that here, the greatest man who ever lived, he was not born in the temple. He was not born in the palace. He was born in a stable. Not only was he 
not uh, born in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem, he wasn't even born in an inn or in a home. He was born in a stable amongst animals because there was no place for him in the inn. There's no place for him. Well, there was no place for him at the inn then. Now there's no place for him at the UN. And Jesus Christ is so hated and despised that Hollywood has popularized what for most of history has been considered one of the worst things you could do, which is blasphemy. And yet over the last century, we have seen Hollywood make blasphemy more and more acceptable, tolerable until it is a habit. And people, even people who call themselves Christians, find themselves using God's name in vain as they have been taught to by Hollywood blasphemy industry. And to think that the only pure, holy, righteous person who ever lived, a person who healed the sick, who cleansed the leopards, who enabled the lame to walk and the dumb to hear and the deaf uh, the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak, who gave life even to those who were dead and raised them up, who could say, Lazarus, come forth and have someone who'd been dead four days come up, who restored the son to the widow of Nain as she grieved over her dead son, who was able to change lives, who could feed the starving with a handful of food, who could walk on water, calm the storm. What did our Lord do to deserve being treated like this? And yet, despite the fact that everything good in our world comes from God and comes from the teachings and example of Christ and from his followers, yet he is the most hated man in the world. There is nobody who is as maligned and hated by the Hollywood industry than Jesus Christ. If you think of the vast amount of films that include blasphemy or the incredible off-the-charts hatred for Christ demonstrate, for example, when Universal Studios produced that disgusting pornographic piece of trash, The Last Temptation of Christ, in 1980s. And even though this film was not wanted, this film was getting protests from all over, and it was a total economic failure. Uh, people stayed away in droves. Uh, it, it was a complete failure. It, it cost the uh, Universal Studios tens of millions lost. But you know, Hollywood is not just about money. They really passionately hate Christ. And you can see the Antichrist spirit and how they will put money into even things that, that lost them a huge amount of income. And then they not only, the last temptation of Christ not only never recouped its cost, but because they were promoting it in their own cinemas, uh, which then, of course, didn't sell as many seats. And because uh, all told, uh, Last Temptation of Christ was a great loss for Universal Studios, but they were willing to suffer it because they hate Christ so much. And then you see that one of the most successful films in history, one of the 10 most successful films ever, was The Last Temptation of Christ, produced by Mel Gibson. And the hatred poured out on Mel Gibson for bringing out a film that actually honored Christ. Or nobody in Hollywood was willing to help him produce the film. He took the entire economic financial burden himself. And if it had been a failure, like The Last Temptation, he would have been economically ruined for life. But it was one of the most successful films ever, despite Hollywood boycotting the film and not allowing any of their chains like AMC and others that they owned to to screen the film. And so The Last Temptation had everything against it, and yet it became one of the 10 most successful films in terms of box office sales in all of history. And Mel Gibson more than recouped his costs, and it enabled him to follow up with Apocalypto and and now he's working on one, I believe, on, on the resurrection. Now, uh, you do get a few people who buck the system, but Hollywood hates them. 
and uh, pours out their wrath upon them because of their hatred of Christ. And when you think of people aren't in the pew saying, you know, we really need more blasphemy in our films. But there is, despite the fact that it might drive away many of their potential customers, Hollywood has been determined to pervert and to debase society and to popularize and make mainstream blasphemy, pornography, perversion, and and denigrating fathers and doing everything to break down the family, to break down the church. And yet they are the biggest hypocrites on earth. When you think of how they will speak out against, for example, people who abuse women, then we find that Hollywood's got the biggest abuse of women all of all time, the Harvey Weinsteins and co. And when you look at, well, you just need to look at the Jeffrey Epsteins and others of the synagogue of Satan, what they do, most of the pornography, most of the pedophilia, most of the perversion, most of the blasphemy in the world, most of the wars are generated by the synagogue of Satan through Hollywood, through their banks, through their news media, and through so much more where they pervert and twist and distort anything that is good and uplifting and which is righteous and honorable. And so when you look at the pride and the inconsistency and the hollowness and these fault finders and how they counterfeit and their double standards and their self-conceit and self-deceit, our Lord Jesus Christ, more than anybody else, exposed and put his finger on the pretentious uh, hypocrisy and all the different double standards that these uh, hypocrites uh, engage in. It explains why Jesus Christ still is, 2,000 years later, the most hated man in the world. And yet he's the greatest man in all of history. And you just think of how Sunday schools were begun by Robert Rakes, a Christian, uh, to provide boys and girls from the poorest homes with the gift of literacy and the riches of the scriptures. The first universities grew out of monastic missionary centers, which had discipled Europe. And the first university lecturers were missionary monks who had collected books and accumulated libraries and copied manuscripts and were uniquely equipped for advancing academic study. Most universities began as Christian schools, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, Cambridge, Heidelberg, Basel, mm. the greatest invention in the field of learning, the printing press by Johannes Gutenberg, also a fruit of the Christian faith. The first book to ever be printed in history, the Bible in Latin, printed by Johannes Gutenberg. And you just consider how Jesus Christ's compassion for the blind, uh, healing many blind individuals during his ministry on earth. When the Roman persecution ended in the fourth century, Christians established asylums for the blind. And it was Louis Braille, a dedicated Christian, who had lost his eyesight at age three, who developed the world's first alphabet to enable blind people to read with their fingers, with the raised dots he had organized. Every branch of learning, every level of learning was pioneered by Bible-believing Christians. Even the concept of graded levels of education, first introduced by a German Lutheran, Johann Sturm, in the 16th century. Another Lutheran, Frederick Froebel, introduced kindergartens. Education for the deaf was pioneered by Christians. Because before Jesus Christ, human life in the Greek and Roman worlds and around the world was extremely cheap. Infants born with physical defects, like blindness, were commonly abandoned to die in the wilderness. In Greece, blind babies were thrown into the sea. Those who survived blind infancy or became blind late in childhood usually became galley slaves. Blind girls were commonly assigned to a life of prostitution. And yet Christ showed compassion for the blind and transformed their lives. 
And today, it's unthinkable what was commonplace before the time of Christ. No wonder those who hate Christ denigrate him because he turned the world upside down and made it better. Do you know, there's so many words that we use that testify to its Christian origins. Consider the word university. Uni veritas, one truth. Well, in fact, the atheists don't even believe in truth, let alone that it can be known. And so they can open up an aversity or diversity or polyversity, but a, a university should be Christian by the very etymology of, of the word. Um, think of the everyday things that have been inspired by the Bible. Breakfast, that comes from the concept of breaking the fast. The word restaurant comes from Jesus' promise in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And so the first restaurant founded in Paris, 1766, placed that verse from Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 in bold letters outside the first public establishment dedicated to providing meals in a pleasant atmosphere. And so in time, it came to be abbreviated to restaurant. Uh, but it comes from Matthew eleven twenty eight. The fact that our week consists of seven days is a testament to the fact of God's creating the world in six days and resting on the seventh. And having six days work and a day of rest, it's a Christian concept. And the fact that we don't have the Hebrew seventh day Sabbath, but the Christian Lord's day, the first day of the week, is a testament to the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the dead on the first day of the week and sent the Holy Spirit for the birthday of the church on the day of Pentecost, first day of the week. And so every time a newspaper publishes the date, it's a testimony to the centrality of Christ. When we call us the year 2021, we're acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the central focus of history. This is the year 2021 what? 2021 AD in the year of our Lord. The very word goodbye, it comes to the parting prayer, God be with you. That explains the the strange spelling of it, goodbye, God be with you. If you go to Austria today, uh, the people will uh, greet you with the words um, Gruß Gott, or greetings in God. And in Switzerland, it's Grutzi, uh, which is an abbreviation of that too. And so the Bible, particularly the Ten Commands, laid down the framework and legal foundations of Western civilization. The very first statute, the first written restriction on the powers of government was Magna Carta, the Great Charter of 1215, written by pastor Stephen Langton, thoroughly saturated with scriptural principles. The fact is, the Bible has inspired the greatest literature, the greatest art, the greatest examples of architecture, the cathedrals, the age of exploration, world missions, the rule of law, the separation of powers into upper and lower houses and between executive, judicial, legislative branches, checks and balances, representative government, the sanctity of life. So much that we take for granted was inspired by Jesus Christ, his teachings and his followers. And so Christianity introduced a respect for life and liberty that was unknown before the coming of Christ and is being lost as societies turn their back on Christ and his teachings. And if we continue to follow Hollywood and the Wuhan Health Organization and the United Nations and the New World Disorder, um, we will lose so many of these things. And in fact, a lot of these freedoms and are already being lost right now. But in the ancient world, the teachings of Jesus Christ halted infanticide, liberated women, abolished slavery, inspired the first charities, the first religious organizations, created hospitals, established orphanages, founded schools. In the Middle Ages, Christianity built libraries, invented colleges, universities, dignified labor, converted the barbarians, 
and later the Vikings too. In the modern era, Christian teaching has advanced science, inspired political, social, and economic freedom, promoted justice, provide the greatest inspiration for the most magnificent achievements in art, architecture, music, and literature, and by the way, converted the cannibals in the Pacific and ended intertribal genocide in uh, Africa and ended slavery and so much more. Christianity has been the most powerful agent in transforming society for the better over 2,000 years. No other religion, no other philosophy, no other teaching, no other nation or movement has changed the world for the better as Christianity has done. Jesus Christ is the greatest man who ever lived. The Bible is the greatest book ever written. The Bible is the number one best-selling book in all of history. And uh, in fact, when I've looked at some of these best-selling lists, I've always been amused that it doesn't include the Bible. And at one time, somebody was trying to say that Harry Potter is more popular than the Bible. Well, not in their best year. And uh, I actually uh, investigated as to how they come up with these bestsellers. So I challenged one of these journalists said, why is the Bible never on the bestseller list? I know it sells more than Harry. You just dropped for a second there, uh, Peter. Sometimes, uh, folks, this happens. He'll be coming back now. Peter, you said, uh, uh, why is yes, the Bible? Um, you said, why is the Bible not on the bestseller list? And then you dropped. So please continue from there. Right. Yes. Well, uh, it's amazing that the internet connectivity is so good across the hem hemispheres and thousands of miles. Anyway, so... Uh, when I've asked them, how do you determine the bestseller list? Because obviously the Bible's a bestseller every year. And they said, well, that wouldn't be fair because the Bible would always be at the top of the bestseller list. And I said, well, why don't you at least mark that an asterisk below? Of course, the Bible's number one bestseller list, but excluding that. And But I noticed you don't seem to have Christian books. I mean, why is no James Dobson books or James Kennedy books or uh, John MacArthur books? I don't see any of them on here. And yet I know they sell millions of copies of their books each year. And he said, oh, no, we, we don't take Christian books. Oh, well, how do you determine your bestseller list? Well, in America, they apparently contact 10 uh, popular bookshops, which is basically some on the West Coast, some on the East Coast, you know, so Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York. And, and then they extrapolate and they say that's a bestseller list in the whole country. In South Africa, they contact five exclusive bookstores, not any Christian bookshops. I don't know how they work it out in Britain, but I bet it's something similar. It's not all the books printed or sold or distributed. It's only a selection of secular books, excluding the Bible, excluding Christian books. So when you hear the bestseller, it's so dishonest because they've excluded the Christian books. Why would they exclude Christian books if your aim is to know what the bestsellers are? Because the whole goal of bestseller books is to promote um, non-Christian books. Uh, and not to promote Christian books, and similarly the encyclopedias. Do you know that the whole purpose of the Encyclopedia Britannica was to specifically present a non-Christian secular understanding of the world, and it was heavily funded by the same banksters who were seeking to undermine the Bible. And today Wikipedia does the same thing. It's trying to provide a secular, non-Christian interpretation of views, and so it's very uh, edited, it's very selective, it's from a particular perspective, it supports the New World Order, it will immediately attack and uh, denigrate people who deny their versions of history or their myths or who question the pandemic or the vaccine or anything like this. If you, if you commit treason uh, uh, to the New World Order and to the COVID cult and to any of the narratives that they consider essential for their new world disorder, then you will find yourself deplatformed, deleted, or denigrated, or 
blasphemed, uh, slandered. Uh, you will find all sorts of nonsense going on there. So it's quite extraordinary that the one thing that helps us to understand why things happen and why different perspectives are taken is to understand the blind anti-Christian, anti-Christ hatred that has gone all the way back to the first century. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you too. Uh, Jesus made it clear, if people aren't for me, they're against me. If they're not helping gather, they're scattering. And so the Lord made it crystal clear. He came to bring a sword. He came to bring division. And even in families, there'd be division between those who are for him and those against him. And we've got to say, the banksters are against Christ. The synagogue of Satan are against Christ. The people who persecute the church, the people who produce blasphemy against Christ. They are anti-Christ. They're against them, and they seek to put themselves in the place of Christ. And so today what we are seeing is you can believe in all sorts of things, but they don't like you to believe in Jesus Christ. So you can believe in Holocaustanity. Uh, you can have not the cross, but you could have uh, the gas chamber symbol. Uh, you mustn't remember the martyrs of the faith, but you can remember the six million. Uh, you mustn't uh, uh, in any way try and honor Christ or the reformers or the people who've died for Christ or Fox's Book of Martyrs. But you can follow the narrative that we give you from Hollywood, and you mustn't question it, of course. And similarly, instead of understanding that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we're in a state of emergency because of the epidemic of sin and the wage of sin is death and the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Instead of that, you've got to believe this this COVID cult virus business and, uh, you know, you, you cannot survive unless you have this vaccination, which is produced by people who want to depopulate the world. But don't worry about that because we're sure that they wouldn't let this conflict of interest uh, infringe on uh, a vaccine which is meant to improve your life and to extend your life expectancy, even though it's produced by people who said they want to depopulate the world and bring the world to under 500 million, maybe 100 million. Uh, but uh, don't worry about the fact that the people who produce the vaccines have lobbied governments and spent billions in order to get indemnity from prosecution for liability for their product uh, for those who will get blind or dead or paralyzed as a result of, of their vaccine. So you, you've got to have some blind faith for the New World Order's faith, and you're not meant to respect Christ or the greatest man who ever lived, the greatest book that was ever written, the greatest movements in history that's done the most good in the world. In fact, that's got to be hated. And you only understand it when you go back and you look at what happened on that original Good Friday. Uh, what we are remembering almost 2,000 years ago, that you had religious leaders who you would have thought the whole purpose of the temple was to be for the worship of Yahweh, Jehovah, God, to, to be there for the Messiah. And yet when the Messiah came, the entire religious priesthood, the entire Jewish Sanhedrin, from the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Levites, the priests, all of them, failed to worship Christ, failed to receive him, failed to welcome him. In fact, they conspired to have him illegally trialed and trumped up charges, kangaroo court, shanghaied through uh, the system in under 24 hours and crucified uh, under the Roman governor. The, it's extraordinary that when Jesus was born, there wasn't a single priest, forget the high priest, there wasn't even any priest or scribe or Pharisee who came to the stable to worship Christ when he was born. Shepherds came. Wise men from the East came, but, but none of the religious leaders, and they missed it. And in fact, when he even came and 
into the temple and chased out the corrupt Jewish moneylenders, overturning the tables and making a whip and chasing them out for turning the house of God into a den of thieves and a place of corruption. Um, at that point, they still didn't recognize, even though he was fulfilling prophecy. And even after teaching in the temple, they still were conspiring how they could crucify Christ. And so there is, as Jesus said, they hated me without a cause. But we need to understand that the reason why the greatest man in history is also the most hated man in history is because he is truly God. He's God with us, Emmanuel, because he is the Messiah, because he is the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by him. It, he is the only perfect person ever walked on this earth, the only person who never sinned, and he lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserve to die, and he was betrayed by the very people who were meant to be there to serve God. And so isn't it extraordinary, the entire religious system from this colossal temple, which I believe, according to Josephus, was the greatest building in the world. There wasn't even a building to rival it in Rome itself. The temple was the greatest building on earth, and yet this magnificent structure built up over so many years, it, it was completely hostile to him, completely resist him, which is why Jesus said not a stone would be left on a stone and the temple was destroyed just 40 years later when Titus came with the Roman legions and destroyed the temple. So not a stone was left on a stone and the temple was destroyed. And to this day, uh, there is no temple and uh, not in Jerusalem, there isn't. And there's no way of salvation left in Judaism because uh, they have no more temple, they have no sacrifice, they have no priesthood, all the records were destroyed. And Jesus made clear, as the book of Hebrews does, that, that that is the end of that age. And we have a better high priest, we have a better sacrifice, we have a better temple, we have a better altar in Christ. And the book of Hebrews makes that clear. And so it's quite sad today that you've got a lot of people who are trying to go back to Judaism when it's quite clear from the Bible that Jesus has come. He is the reality. All those Old Testament shadows were, were uh, prophecies, they were symbols, they were antecedents, they were foreshadowing of the reality, but the reality is Christ and he has come. But many people prefer the shadow, they don't want the reality, the substance, which is Christ. And when we consider all that Christ has accomplished, all that he has done, and uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful poem that was done um, back in the 19th century, and uh, I'll read that and then uh, hand back to you for, for further comment. But this is um, uh, One Solitary Life. Maybe you've heard this poem. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or a home. He didn't go to college. He didn't visit a big city. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life.
Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Now, it's very interesting, folks, because uh, you remember uh, about a year ago when the first lockdowns went in place around the world, uh, most churches were thus closed over Easter. And then we saw other lockdowns around the world in which they were closed over Christmas. And now as we come up to this Easter, many churches are still locked down around the world. And I don't think that that's any coincidence. But I have a question, um, uh, a quick uh, clarification rather than a question, uh, Peter. There is um, a Wikipedia page, and I'm, I always like to go off their, their mainstream sources to see what they're telling us. It's called Crucifixion of Jesus. And it says the crucifixion of Jesus occurred in first century Judea, most likely in AD 30 or AD 33. Now, do you have any um, thoughts on, uh, on if either of those years are correct? And if so, which one? Or do you have another idea? No, well, um, I, I would say that um, AD 33 is, is very um, credible. Um, either is possible, but uh, on the weight of evidence, I think AD 33. I would have thought so, because that was um, the age he was when he was crucified. Is that correct? Uh, yes, correct. Um, that, that's, that's what we are going on. Yeah, well, the reason that I bring this up, I had Dr Lorraine Day on last week, and something that she pointed out is that the reason they're doing all the, what they're doing now with getting these vaccines into us, these lockdowns and what have you, is we're approaching the 2000th anniversary of when they killed or crucified Jesus Christ. And there is a document, mm. and you'll have probably heard about it, uh, and I'm going off the UK government website, so this is what uh, the UK government are telling us, gov.uk. Um, Agenda 2030 delivering the global goals 17 global goals for sustainable development will shape the world's approach to growth and sustainable development until 2030 building on the progress made by the millennium development goals between 2000 and 2015 this ambitious agenda sets out the framework through which the world will work together to combat the most pressing challenges of our time including eradicating extreme poverty ending hunger protecting our environment and breaking down gender barriers the goals were agreed by 190 93 member states of the United Nations in September 2015 and apply to every country. Um, no mention of Christ in there, of course. Uh, I find it, you know, it, can you see any link between, we know how these uh, people love their dates and their numerology and things like that, and wouldn't they be happy to uh, get a godless world in place on the tooth? by the 2000th anniversary of their crucifixion of mm. Jesus Christ. What are your thoughts on that, Peter? I'm sure that we're seeing this. In fact, the hysterical anti-Christian hatred is the only thing that makes sense behind so many of these things. You know, coming out with this so many different genders, well, God made us male and female, that, that's always been reality. Uh, the fact that marriage itself, which is between a man and a woman, uh, being a challenge, Every single facet of Christian civilization is under attack. Uh, the truth in history, uh, our, our whole uh, week, uh, how it works out, uh, uh, the sanctity of the Sabbath day, the Lord's day being the first day of the week, being a day of rest and so on. All of these are under attack. And of course, the name of Christ is under attack 
most relentlessly by Hollywood, so much so that it's blasphemy, which was unthinkable back in, let's take a century ago, has now become commonplace because of Hollywood. You can see now the agenda. They hate Christ on such a level. And so I believe that the fact that they want us to eat bugs and weeds uh, instead of real food, the fact that they don't want us to have any civilization. Uh, just dropped again, Peter. I think we'll hear the beep um, when he reconnects. Can you, you said that. Can you hear me again? Yeah, you said the fact again? that. Yeah, you me? talked about the fact they're trying to make us eat bugs and the fact that we have no civilized, yes. and then you dropped out. So please continue from there. Yes. Yes. So uh, the whole uh, idea of undermining every level of civilization is, of course, behind so much of this agenda, including this lockdown. This COVID cult lockdown lunacy is aimed at stopping people going to church, stopping people gathering with their family members, stopping people influencing society. This is all a cover, a smokescreen for a radical communist New World Order agenda. And we can see where this is going. Revelation chapter 13 a one-world government, a one-world economic system, a one-world interfaith religious system. That's that's the goal of Satan, Babylon, and the beast, which is uh, warned about in Revelation 13. And we're seeing it. We're seeing every attempt to try and bring about a one-world government, a one-world economic system, and a one-world interfaith religious system. And right now, when you understand that agenda, which was warned about in the Bible nearly 2,000 years ago, and now we're seeing it come about, what more do we need to to wake us up to the fact that this is not just freedom at risk. This is civilization that's at risk. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, it's absolutely correct. And um, it, it's this um, atavistic hatred of Jesus Christ that they have, this hatred of Christianity. Uh, the fact that they're seeming to link... Um, that in with whiteness but um, it's not just the case because you've helped many persecuted uh, black people in uh, throughout Africa who've actually been persecuted for their Christianity so it's something that is is very important to point out and I'll hand over to Peter to give examples of this because he's there on the ground with his missionary work but whilst in the media they're uh, constantly saying how whiteness is an evil thing, they don't like to talk about saying Christianity is evil, but they certainly target, while they promote uh, black people and ethnic minorities in the West, they have no problem targeting blacks who are uh, Christians uh, throughout Africa. What can you tell us about that, Peter? It is very clear, yes. Um, for example... I've had people who've been tortured in the concentration camps in Angola uh, by the Marxists uh, who've told me, survivors, saying, and we pleaded to them. They were, they were in um, pits in the ground with just um, a bamboo kind of uh, 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 bars above them. So the rain, the gutters, the sewers of the whole camp flowed into where they were. They were at the lowest point in every sense and uh, uh, literally couldn't lie down because they're standing in in such uh, filth and squalor that if they lay down, they would suffocate and, and drown. And so they were saying to them uh, with all the torture, why don't you just kill us and get it over with? And uh, the communist Cuban who was torturing them answered very eloquently, and I've heard similar words in different places at different countries. Oh, no, we don't want to kill you and send you to heaven with God. No, we want you to curse Christ and come to hell with us for all eternity. 
I have heard that from different survivors in different countries. There is no doubt to me that that the whole communist system is anti-Christ. And you can see, while they hate white Christians, yes, and they've tortured and done hideous things to, to white Christians, farmers, missionaries, and so on, but they hate black Christians, if anything more, because they see them as traitors. And so the hostility, they, just take this example in Angola, which I documented. They came into a church and said, you can all leave, go, out the door. But first, spit on the Bible as you go out and you can go free. They took the Bible off the pulpit, put through the Bible, open by the doorway, and the people had to spit on the Bible and they could go free. If they didn't spit, they would kill him. What has this got to do with anything except an anti-Christian hatred? And where they came into the church and said, there's no God. Your God is AK-47. They put an AK-47 assault rifle up front on the altar. And they said, but you must all come and bow down before this because this is the power of life and death. This is your God. And they forced people to come and kneel in front of, of this gun. And when they've managed to take people by the scruff of the neck and force them knees, they then start to mock them and say, you've lost your salvation. You've committed idolatry. You can never be saved. Your sins can never be forgiven. You're going to come to hell with us for all eternity. They have burned churches. They have crucified pastors. I've documented this all over Africa. Bombing churches. I've been in churches being bombed while we have running churches on Sunday morning. Uh, they've rocketed, strafed, scorched earth. I've preached in maybe a thousand two hundred occasions in Sudan. I've never preached in a church or a school that hadn't been bombed at least once. One church I ministered in had been bombed eighteen times in the previous twelve months. Uh, some schools I ministered in had been bombed multiple times. Our mission base was bombed ten times, and so. The hatred and hostility for Christianity, and to think they'd go to such extents. No, there is no doubt at all that while they hate wasps, white Anglo-Saxon uh, Protestant males who are straight, uh, they hate straight Christian blacks and colored people and Asians and others too. Make no mistake, while there's a strong racial agenda in some parts of the world where, where race differences are not a major factor, then it is primarily, you see it coming out just blatantly, you're a Christian. You need to re re recant from being a Christian, or we are going to do this, that, and the other, and they've got hideous tortures for it. So you can see very demonic minds uh, involved in this, and uh, you can see it from the writings of Karl Marx, new gods will need to be installed, uh, quote, unquote. And uh, you know the Karl Marx being a Satanist a book documented, uh, the different things he wrote. He wrote poems about wanting to destroy God's creation and howl gigantic curses upon mankind and giving his words an act of force to feel equal to the creator. So Karl Marx, his hostility to God in general, in Christ in particular, absolutely, that's all it explains. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn pointed out that malice towards God Hatred towards God is not a side effect of Marxism. It's its essential pivot. It's the heart and soul of communism. He said the economics and the politics are mere pretensions. He said the real heart and soul of what drives Marxism is hatred for God, hatred for Christ in particular. He said the world has never known a godlessness so malicious and so uh, persistent and malevolent and militarized and organized as that embodied in modern day communism. And, uh, well, he's right. Uh, but, you know, in the West, they don't use communism as their banner. They do it in the name of entertainment in Hollywood or in the name of education in some places. They do it sometimes in the name of science. And as we've now seen, they can even claim medical science 
to be able to justify shutting down churches during this lockdown lunacy. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And what's so interesting about what you said there is a lot of people, when they look at these Antifa and these Marxists and these communists causing all these problems on the street, they think, well, you know, these people, they don't believe in God. That's why they don't respect your Christianity. But certainly from what you just said there, these people do believe in God. They do believe in the story of Jesus Christ, but they hate God and they hate Jesus Christ because they've basically turned themselves over to Satan. And so they fully believe what we believe They, in, in the sense of events that happen. They've just decided to side with evil and with Satan. Would that be an accurate uh, comment, Peter? Yes, that's, that's on target. That's exactly right. Uh, in, in a way, you could summarize so many of them as, as there is no God and I hate him, which is, of course, mutually uh, exclusive. You, you <laughs> can't hate someone who doesn't exist. But uh, when they say God doesn't exist or when they put on Time magazine or Slime magazine, God is dead as a as big, bold red letters on black background um, uh, back in was it the 60s or 70s in Time magazine. The, the program God is dead, it didn't mean they didn't believe in God. It meant that uh, they were wanting to kill the image of God, the Christian understanding of God in the minds of people. So. In many ways, you can think of evolutionism as an attempt to abort God retroactively. They are, it's not that they don't believe God exists. It's that they want to fight him and they want to delete him. The, the, the woman who wrote the Golden Compass book trilogy, she apparently said her goal was to kill God in the minds of children. And I've heard this uh, even from uh, John Dewey, who set up the whole secular humanist education system in American public schools. Uh, he also said that the goal is to kill God in the minds of children in the classroom and that secular humanists must become clergy in the classroom to, to win children away from the faith, the Christian faith of their parents and to bring them into the secular humanist religion. And again, he used the words religion. And it's even there in the 1933 and 1973 versions of the Humanist Manifesto where they describe secular humanism as a religion, secular humanism. And this is also interesting. You can go onto university campuses, as I have done, and see listed amongst the different religions, religious clubs and groups, you know, you see uh, Assemblies of God, Baptist Brethren, the Atheist Society, the Secular Humanist Society, the Humanist Society, and so on, and Pagan Society, Wiccan. They right there. They, they will list themselves as amongst the religions on the campus. And so if somebody believes that, you know, Humanism is secular. It doesn't believe in God. No, it's a religion. And they understand that there is a God, but they say they want to replace a God with secular humanism, with atheism, or with the state, or with the political party. And they want to kill God in the minds of children. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you very much, Peter. And we're nearly out of time. So before we go, can you just let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can get in touch with you? Thank you. Yes. So we're based in Cape Town, southernmost tip of Africa, astride two oceans, the warm Indian Ocean, the cold Atlantic. That's why we're the Cape of Storm. So in Cape Town is Frontline Fellowship. You can find our website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org. SA is short for South Africa. So frontlinemissionsa.org. And my email is peter at frontline.org.za. I'm also on social media on Facebook. Um, be good to make contact with any of the listeners who are interested in learning more about our work. Thank you so much, Andrew, for what you do. And may we have a God-honoring 
Good Friday and a tremendous celebration of the resurrection of Christ and Easter. And it just reminds me again of one of the greatest um, musical accomplishments in history, Handel's Messiah. Always love to listen to Handel's Messiah over this time. And I'd recommend any listener to find it online and just sit back and listen to Handel's Messiah. It's just, uh, it's the best. It's the greatest. And it's all scripture. And it's celebrating the greatest man who ever lived who is the most hated man who's ever lived in the eyes of our enemies too. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Wonderful information as always and most timely at this sacred time of year. So folks, you have been listening to the real story of the greatest and most hated man in history. I want to thank all of you for listening. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next week. Until then, folks, bye for now.